Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God, and we're going to talk about salvation, and we're going to talk about relationships, and we're going to talk about a lot of things, but we're going to talk about it in a way in which we're going to hopefully expand your understanding of the Gospel of the Kingdom. Because the gospel of the kingdom is really about your relationship with other men. And one of the major sources of that relationship with other men is government. The way in which you govern yourselves as people. And that is a big deal in the Bible. That's why they talk about Cain and his city-state and Lamech oppressing the people and Nimrod and Pharaoh and Caesar and Jesus Christ preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God at hand within your reach so that you might be saved. Might be saved. Talks about in John about God giving his only begotten son so that the world might be saved. And that's why he came, that he might save sinners. What's the sin? What's the world? Well, we've all talked about the fact that uh, many, many, many times about the fact that there are so many different words in the Greek New Testament that are all translated world. So what, what are all these words? What, what do they each one mean? Well, one means constitutional order or system of government and actually comes from the word comiso, which means to take care of. And that's how governments get power. That's why men create governments. God doesn't create governments. Men create governments because men need help that they might be saved from the elements of life. And from the difficulties that come about, the calamities. And the Bible talks about what to do to prepare for calamities. It talks about appointing seven men, even eight. What are seven men, even eight? Why seven men? Did you notice that in Acts 6, God appoints, uh, or the people look out amongst themselves, and they pick seven men. Why? Because the daily ministration is being neglected. So they pick seven men to do what? To take care of the needy of their society. What's taking care of the needy of society have to do with anything? Well, that, that's how you relate to society. How you take care of the needy amongst you. Those who have a calamity in their family. In their lives. You know, disease or injury or whatever. They have a calamity and they have to, they need help. How are you going to help them? Well, that's religion. That's what religion is. The performance of your duty to your fellow man. That's half of what religion is. The other half is your duty to God. What is your duty to God? 
Love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, we're back to the, the, the other half of performing your duty to God and your fellow man. How you do that, that's relationships. His relationships saying certain words? Is relationships putting on certain clothes, following certain rituals? No, relationship is how you help one another, how you're there for one another, how you watch each other's back. That's what relationships are. And your relationship with your neighbor, how you help your neighbor. How do you do it? Do you, do you go up and down the street and make everybody give you a hundred bucks so that you can help out the guy down on the corner who needs help? And if they don't want to give you a hundred bucks, you point a gun in their face and tell them, if you don't give me a hundred bucks, I'm going to take your house away from you. Is that the way you do it? Well, actually, that's the way most modern day Christians do it. That's how they help their neighbor. They go to their neighbor's house. Actually, they're too lazy to go to their neighbor's house, so they get somebody else to do it. They elect somebody. You, you go to my neighbor's house and make him give money and stuff so that I can take care of the needy of my society. You do that for me, will you? Yeah, I'll do that for you. I'll go to your neighbor's house. And if he doesn't give money, I'm taking his whole house away from him. Sounds pretty crazy, doesn't it? It's what you do every day. You just call it government. That's what you do. <laughs> That's how you take care of the needy of your society. And you think you're saved from sin. You think you've repented. You didn't repent. You haven't even come close to repenting. You don't take care of the needy through faith, hope, and charity, and perfect law of liberty or anything like that. That's crazy. You don't do that. You take care of the needy by sending men with guns to your neighbor's house, threatening to take his house away from him, threatening to put him in jail if he doesn't contribute to you. It's just absolutely unbelievable. But that's what you do. That's how, that's how, that's your religion. That's how you take care of the needy in your society. Kind of hard to believe, isn't it? Kind of unbelievable. <laughs> there you go. That's how you do it. And you think you're a Christian. That's just crazy. It's just absolutely, unbelievably crazy. And you, you've been doing this for a long time. And you, you've done it so long that you think it's absolutely normal to do it. I, I'm just absolutely shocked that you think that it, that's okay and that's normal. How did you get to such a state of mind where you think that that's what God wants you to do? That's how God operates. You know, I once was on a uh, forum, first century church forum. It was a Yahoo group. And uh, like most Yahoo groups, it's full of a bunch of Yahoos. And, you know, actually there were a lot of old ladies and and religionists on there who thought, oh, yeah, we want to do what the first century church did. 
And then I pointed out to them that the first century church took care of the daily ministration, the widows and orphans. They did all that. They took care of all the widows and orphans of, of their society. You know, people in trouble. And they called that pure religion. And they said, well, I says, but the modern church doesn't do that. So if this is a first century church group, shouldn't we be figuring out how, how to do that? And it says, oh, we don't need to do that anymore. We have social welfare. The government takes care of that. We don't have to do that anymore. And I said, well, the, they had social welfare back in those days. Back in the days of, oh no, they didn't have any kind of welfare back in those days, they said. I said, yeah, they did. <laughs> I mean, I was like shocked. Like, how come these educated people, some of these people have been to college? They didn't know that there were social welfare schemes in Rome. And they didn't even know. They didn't know that there were social welfare schemes in Judea. Set up originally by the Hasmoneans, but really got going with gangbusters. Were able to build the Golden Temple of Herod and everything because they had so much money flowing in. And how did they get all that money flowing in? Well, they offered a social welfare scheme called Corbin. They they said, you know, because they always had Corbin. They had Corbin way back in Leviticus. But Corbin just means sacrifice, and there's two different kinds of sacrifice. Free will sacrifices, which you see over and over again, dozens and dozens of times. Free will offerings, free will sacrifice, free will giving, voluntary giving. Over and over again in the Bible, we see that translated that way. But, there's another type of sacrifice. It's not free will. You sign up and you have to give in. you got to have a scribe, you know, an accountant, someone to keep track of what you're giving in. And you have to give that. And he says, okay, this is what you owe, and you pay it, or they throw you in jail, or they beat you up. That's the way they do it. Jesus had all kinds of parables about that, you know, you owe this much, you have to pay in. But his his good servant, his praised servant, collector of what is owed, he was saying, you owe a uh, hundred? Oh. Write down 50. And you, you owe 200? Write down 100. And he was forgiving debt all the time. He was praised for this. So what system do you have in place? A Christian system that forgives? Or an unchristian system that is wicked and will be cast into the pit? Well, you've created the second one and you still call yourself a Christian. You don't even do what Jesus says. Not at all. Not even close. I don't know a church that does. What church do you know? Well, actually, there are a few that are getting close to this. But generally speaking, if we looked out there and took a consensus of the, uh, or a census of the churches and asked them, okay, how much do you collect and give in the welfare of the people in your congregations every year and how much do you your people have to go to men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority every year and let's let's look at the tally sheet and the reality is 
Almost everybody in these churches go to men who exercise authority one over the other but call themselves benefactors. And they apply to them, you know, application and prayer, same thing, for benefits. Well, well, wait a minute. Jesus said, don't do that. It is not to be that way with you. Yet, all these Christian churches, so-called Christian churches, imaginary Christian churches, who imagine that they believe in Jesus, do this daily. What? What's the deal? In my, is that not written in the Bible? You guys need to make straight the way of the Lord. Because you, you're not even close. Well, this morning I got up and uh, pretty early, sun wasn't up, went out. I could see there was a sheep out there thinking about having a lamb, but it didn't. And, uh, or it hadn't. And anyway, so I went uh, and created a couple of web pages on our preparingyou.com. And one of them was Bread and Circuses. Bread and Circuses comes from the Latin Panem Circenses. And it uh, was originally heard from a poet in Rome who used it. And his name was Juvenal. And it was in his satire 10. And he says that the common people, rather than caring about their freedom, are only interested in bread and circuses, food and entertainment. Now, he saw this, you know, 100 years before uh, Christ. A uh, hundred years after Christ, Plutarch was still saying the real destroyers of liberty of the people is he who spreads amongst them bounties, donations, and benefits. If you read down... Actually, let's bring it up to modern age. Let's go to Admiral Ben Morial. He's the guy who is a tough guy. He, he founded the Seabees. He saw major wars and the Depression and what have you. But in 1956, he wrote, I do not imply that bread and circuses are evil things in themselves. Man needs material sustenance and he needs recreation. These needs are so basic that they come within the purview of every religion. In every religion there is a harvest festival and a thanksgiving for good crops. And as for recreation, we need only recall that our word holiday was originally holy day, a day of religious observance. In fact, the circuses and games of old Rome were religious in origin. The evil was not in bread and circuses per se, but in the willingness of the people to sell their rights as free men for full bellies and the excitement of the games which would serve to distract them from the other human hungers which bread and circuses cannot ever appease. The moral decay of the people was not caused by the dole and the games. These merely provided a measure of their degradation. 
things that were originally good had become perverted, and as Shakespeare reminds us, lilies that fester smell far worse than weeds. But anyway, he had a number of opinions, and this is 1956. Men were talking about this. He used to write for uh, the Freeman, and you can find that quote in Volume 6, Issue 1. But the Admiral had uh, another plan that he laid out in uh, 1956 uh, that he said there were steps that Americans can do to push back at their loss of freedom. And people always want to, you know, that people want to get their freedom back. Demand my constitutional rights. I've started a series speaking to Moshe on that, and you'll be able to get that if you join the Living Network. We'll show you where that is as it goes up. I did three more hours on that just yesterday that will be broadcast on uh, a number of radio locations, hopefully someday, or a number of different times on different radio stations. The four steps he has, the first he says, let us stop this headlong rush towards collectivism. This is 1956. Let there be no more special privileges for employers. Employees, farmers, businesses, businessmen, and any other groups. This is the easiest step of all. We need only to retain, refrain, excuse me, refrain from passing more socialistic laws. Did, did any socialistic laws get passed since 1956 that you know of? <laughs> well, in 1956, I was only, what was I, uh, eight years old? I remember socialistic laws being passed <laughs> since 1956. Anyway, second he says, let, let us undertake at once an orderly demobilization of many of the existing powers of government by the progressive repeal of their socialistic laws which we already have. This will be a very difficult step because every pressure group in the nation will fight to retain its subsidies, monopoly, privileges, protections. But if freedom is to live, all special privileges must go. Well, have they decreased or increased since 1956? You tell me. What has the church done to decrease those things that erode the freedoms of it in the individual man. What church? Do, I know some churches that are trying to get the vote out. Lots of luck with that. I know people trying to get 60 million Americans if we would vote this way. The fact is, is the Admiral here, he's talking about what the government can do. I thought America was a government of the people, for the people, and by the people. So let's translate that into what the people can do. Have you demobilized your need for that government benefit, that socialistic benefits offered through law? Are you less dependent in 19 or in 2014 than you were in 1956? as a people, upon the benefits of 
governmental socialism. Well, the church should be running right out in front helping you do that. Homeschool. And, and homeschool in a network means that you have, you can still have a school. You could even have a school building if you can afford it. Where you all gather, or you could just rent a space. You only need to use it a couple times a week at the most. Because most of the time you're studying at home. You get your assignment, you go back and you see how everybody else is doing and you compare notes and you interact and then you go back home again. And then you can't wait till that next day where you're going to meet with all your friends again and see how much each of you have learned. Wouldn't that be cool? But have you done that? Do your churches do that? Sometimes they start private schools. That's great. Private school. Except for the fact that it puts the child in an unnatural environment. Women were not made to have litters. There's nothing more unnatural than 35, 14-year-olds in the same room. That is completely outside of the call of nature. A very dangerous situation. (laughs) To say the least, I would not want to be that teacher. The natural way to teach your children is in the family. And you could have a one-room schoolhouse where you bring multiple ages from time to time. And they work together. The older helping the younger. This matures the older and gives the younger something to look up to. Needs guidance, moral guidance. Because you can't bring morality in public schools, but you can send your kids there. I just read a story this morning where 10-year-olds were assaulted in Minneapolis, Minnesota, sexually assaulted by other students, 10-year-olds. And the school is not required to notify the parents of the assault. They're not required by law to notify the parents of the assault. You've gone headlong in the opposite direction of what Admiral Ben Muriel was suggesting. We'll, we'll take a look at his other two suggestions and see if you've done any of those, if even attempted to do them. And the fact is, is I don't believe hardly anybody does. And I blame that on the churches. We'll be right back to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're talking again about the Kingdom of God. And I was doing some editing. We're putting all our audios up eventually on our uh, network, the ones that I create throughout the, the week. We do at least five shows a week. And they go out on, like I say, different stations. And you can find out at thelivingnetwork.org or joining the go to preparingyou.com and join the network. And We'll send you notices. You can see us on Facebook, too. You can join us on Facebook. You'll get notices that way. And you can join the Kingdom News list, and you'll get notices that way. But it's really important that you actually become relationally connected in the Living Network by forming congregations of record and actually start doing what Christ said for a change. Because you haven't been doing that for the last, at least since 1956. You haven't been doing that since 
just about the turn of the century, you're beginning farther and farther. I mean, we used to do that. this in America. All social welfare was taken care of by charity. Almost all. Almost all education was taken care of by individuals and, and charitable works. Uh, even the first colleges were free. You could pay a tuition, but you could actually get educated for free if you didn't have the money. And that was common. Very common in America at one time. It's not so common anymore because you've been going this other way, this other way that the Admiral was suggesting that you don't go. The Admiral was a little bit of a libertarian, but I mean, this is a guy who started the Seabees. This is a, this is a guy, a career military guy who was very outspoken and saw a lot. And he came to these conclusions. And I told you that we'd look at his other two steps. He had four steps that America needed to start taking. Now, he addressed these originally to the government and those representatives he thought people were electing. He didn't realize that they would be lawmakers. They weren't representing you anymore. They're actually ruling over you. It really doesn't matter who you elect. Anyway, it's the bureaucrats that run things. And you're now ruled by regulation. You're not ruled by law. The regulations don't... don't whoever writes the regulation rules the nation. Uh, there were actually people in the, the present cabinet of the United States that made statements almost identical to that. I don't care who makes the laws. I care who writes the regulations. Because the regulations are what rules. Because the the regulators say, hey, you can only do this. And okay, we'll only do that. And But the law says you can do this. So, but the regulators said that we can. So the regulators rule. And you're not ruled by law. You're ruled by regulators. And regulators, a lot of times, change their opinion from one minute to the next. This is why people dealing with the INS, you go talk to any INS lawyer. And they will tell you, you have absolutely no idea what the ruling will be based on law. It has to do with the, whatever the INS feels like doing. And we just heard re- recently the Riki family, I think that's the correct name, I'm, I'm bad at names, but they were going to be sent back to Germany for because homeschooling is not a right. It's a privilege. And so it's not persecution for the state to say no more homeschooling. This is what the present administration thinks. This is what your attorney general thinks. And I tell you, without homeschooling, your nation is going to be in a lot of trouble. Of course, it's in a lot of trouble already because almost nobody homeschools anymore. Because there will not be a diversity of opinion. And that's... That's the way they want. It's they, the thought police can't allow homeschooling. Absolutely not. But anyway, his third suggestion, third step, he says, of the powers that remain in government, again, he's thinking government of representatives instead of a government of people, let us return as many as possible to the states. For on the local level, the people will be able to apply more critical scrutiny to the acts of their government agents. Now, there's a, there is a big move. Ron Paul's big for that, returning a lot of 
choices to the local state governments. And the only real advantage to that is is that if 48 states outlaw homeschooling, all the homeschoolers will move to the two states that don't. <laughs> and you know what that would make? That would make the, make the states that didn't outlaw homeschooling 30% smarter than the states that did, did outlaw homeschooling because everybody knows the homeschoolers score 30% higher in all the tests. So they will have the best and the brightest, most individual thinking. They will become mountains of success. Very few homeschoolers, if any, I haven't come across any yet, are on welfare. <laughs> One of the first things, when you get on welfare, you got to send your kids to school. <laughs> now, homeschoolers, they would starve a lot of times rather than send their kids to public schools. So immediately you would have a tremendous influx of people that are hardworking, industrious, and producing children 30%, 30% smarter than all the other kids. So they would suddenly see those states booming <laughs> with success. And uh, the states that outlawed homeschool would be suffering. Of course, this is exactly what happened when people got the baptism of Christ. You see, most people don't realize that in order to join the social welfare systems that were pervasive, pervasive at the time of Christ, in that first century church, Yahoo group thought, well, there was no welfare in those days. So the, they had to do this. But now that we have governments that have welfare, we don't have to take care of the needy in our churches. Somebody should make the connection that, for one thing, they did have the, that welfare. Half of Rome was on the government dole at one time. Uh, just under Augustus Caesar. Half of Rome. That's amazing. I mean, we don't even reach those limits yet. We will. And to some degree, actually, that's not true. When you realize that public education is the government dole, more than half <laughs> of the United States is, is on the government dole because public education is the socialist system of education. And so, therefore, everybody who sends their kids to public school are on the government dole. Now, only 54 million Americans are getting EBT cards. And, of course, now, that's probably way more than you would think 54 million. If there were 400 million Americans, then that would be, what is that, 15% uh, of the Americans are on the government dole or whatever. I, I'm doing my math too quick here. But the reality is, is this 54 million, is that 54 million EBT cards? Because they have children. So is how many people are really actually receiving those government benefits if we count the kids? I don't know. 54 million is outrageous. I mean, if you saw a bread line 54 million people long, <laughs> that would be headlines. We would Look at this, 54 million Americans standing in bread lines. Except for they're invisible. You don't see them because they all have EBT cards. You, you do see them from time to time. You can just watch the line in front of you. And you'll see all these people getting free bread. And the, the interesting thing is that every time this free bread and circuses is mentioned, whether it's Cicero or or Moreal or or Juvenal, 
they're talking about the decline and fall of the Roman Empire and relating it to the free bread, the socialist system of welfare. Now, the Christians had a, 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 a system of welfare. And some people actually think that Jesus was a socialist because he was always talking about helping out the poor. But he was doing it by free will offerings. And that's what made America great, is that we used to do that too. But now your churches are all out there doing something else. I don't know what the heck they're doing, but they're not doing anything that Christ said. They think they're saved. They think that, you know, I mean, this, you want to get back to freedom, the Admiral's telling you. Except now, when he says, of the powers that remain in the government, he wants to give them back to the state. Well, if you go to the Ninth and Tenth Amendment, it talks about rights retained by the people. And he's talking about getting your freedom back by returning the responsibilities to the states. Well, I say return the responsibilities to the people. Home health, home education, home protection. That's what you need to start cultivating. You need to start cultivating that in your children and in in your neighborhoods. People have to, you're just not going to, there's no other way. That's the way of Christ. That's, Christ didn't tell the apostles, get rid of your swords. He just told Peter to put it up right now. He didn't say throw it away. He said put it up. He actually recommended that they get them. But anyway, what's the fourth thing that Admiral Ben Morial suggested? I mean, I might as well tell you all this stuff because your your kids aren't getting it in public school. You think they're going to teach any kids about this in public school? Uh, that's going to be deleted from their school class. Uh, I doubt they'll even mention his name. <laughs> I mean, how many guys have watched a movie on the CBs and know who Admiral Ben Muriel is or what he was actually thinking? Fourth, above all, let us resolve that never again will we yield to the seduction of the government panderer who comes amongst us offering bread and circuses paid for with our own money in return for our sovereign rights. <laughs> He's telling you folks, you didn't listen to him in 1956. Now you can get all mad and say, oh, the government's taking away our rights. No, you gave them up because you pandered at those who offered and spread amongst you bounties, donations, and benefits. And that's what he's talking about. Now, if we go back to juvenile, he actually said, if we quote from that a little bit more than the original quote I told you at the beginning, he says, Already long ago, from when we sold our vote to no man, the people have abdicated our duties for the people who once upon a time handed out military command, high civil offices, legions, everything now restrains itself and anxious, anxiously hopes for just two things. Bread and circuses. And that's where we're at. That's what we've done. Well, how does it benefit me? 
I mean, even the, the, the military commands you have, it's because you want to be comfortable. Now, I don't know exactly what kind of government Sodom had, but I bet you it was a socialist government. Because what was the sin of Sodom? You think it's sodomy and, and sexual perversions, but that's just, I mean, you probably think that Lady Godiva rode on a horse naked. You probably actually believe that. <laughs> Go read our free church report uh, about the cover because she's, we have a picture on the church report of Lady Godiva. Can you believe that? Anyway, uh, you can go see the picture. It's on our website at hisholychurch.org. You can go see a picture of Lady Godiva. And all you guys running there to see a woman on a naked horse, you're going to be sorely disappointed. <laughs> but then read the inside cover and find out why we put Lady Godiva on the front of the Free Church Report. Anyway, Ezekiel 16.49, Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. Didn't say it didn't give to the poor and the needy. Just said didn't strengthen it. The fact is, it's just not love to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. But it is a society that does not love one another that does this. And I pointed out, somebody was saying, Moshe was saying that the duty of government is to guarantee the jobs for the people. <laughs> and I thought, like, when did that, when was that written into the Constitution? <laughs> General welfare is to be promoted. And nothing promotes general welfare more than liberty. And you have to go no farther than the pilgrims who starved every year, along with Jamestown, every year, I point this out all the time, starved every year until they decided one thing. If you don't work, you don't eat. Now, that didn't mean that they had taskmasters to make sure that you worked. It meant that private ownership of property. The work you do will produce your food and your food only. If anybody falls short, you have to help them out of the goodness of your heart, not out of force and violence. It is as simple as that, not out of force and violence. But we don't listen to those things. If it, you know, I, I've mentioned Plutarch's quote. Let's let's look at Polybius. Polybius was around a long time before. Uh, Christ, 200 years before Christ, and which is, you know, almost 100 years before Juvenal. And he said, the masses continue with an appetite for benefits and the habit of receiving them by way of a rule of force and violence. The people having grown accustomed to feed at the expense of others and to depend for their livelihoods on the property of others, institute the rule of violence. And now, uniting their forces, massacre, banish, and plunder until they degenerate again into perfect savages 
and find once more a master and a monarch. Welcome to America. 200 years before Christ was even born. Polybius is telling us this. What is the story? How come we don't make the connection with the gospel? How many times did Jesus give you specific instructions in the gospel when he talked about benefactors who exercised authority one over the other? You you don't remember that? Matthew twenty twenty five. But Jesus called them unto him and said, Ye know the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them and they that are great exercise authority upon them. Or Luke twenty two twenty nine, Or let's go back up to 22.25. And he said unto them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. But ye shall not be so. But all the Christians today are so. They pray to the benefactors who exercise authority. These men calling themselves benefactors to get their benefits. Because somehow or other people who were supposedly studying the first century church don't realize that social welfare was the prominent, so prominent in the Roman Empire and in Judea that it brought them to their downfall. <laughs> it destroyed the the nature of their society, corrupting it from the bottom up. You don't fix the corruption from the bottom up by working on the top. It doesn't matter who you elect. That's not going to change anything. You can certainly go try if you want. I'm, I believe in free choice. It's not going to change till you change. But he talks about a government, but he who that is greatest amongst you, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief as he that doth serve. For whether is greater, he that sitteth at meat, or he that serveth, is not he that sitteth at meat, but I am amongst you as he that serveth. This is the primary instructions of Christ to his apostles when he appointed them a kingdom. This is what the mission of the church was, to be the benefactors who do not exercise authority. You cannot do that unless you come together. So he says, forsake not the coming together. And in 29 he says, And I appoint unto you a kingdom as my Father has appointed unto me. The kingdom of God is at hand. It was appointed. They're doing it. They're taking care of the daily administration. What are you doing? You're going to the men who call themselves benefactors but exercising authority. And you think you're saved? Because you had a thought? Christ died that you might be saved if you repented. Are you working your way back to a system of social welfare based on faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty? If you're not, don't expect to be free. Because you will not be free. You don't live in a republic. You live in a democracy. You've, you've let the republic all but die. You know, the early church was called a republic. And that's really what the topic of the day was going to be is a republic. But I had created these other pages and thought some of you might find some of these quotes of interest. 
because this was on the minds of people, like Paul's brother. Yeah, Paul's brother read Polybius. Paul's brother thought about these things and understood these things. The early church heard men like Plutarch. George Washington was referred to as the American Plutarch. In case you don't remember, Plutarch said the real destroyers of liberties of the people is he who spreads amongst them bounties, donations, and benefits. So, the real destroyer of your liberty? FDR! (laughs) The New Deal! Which wasn't that new. It was as old as Caesar himself. You know, the thing is, those guys, they studied history. You think you're going to learn about Plutarch? And the real destroyers of liberty in your public schools? You think your kids are going to learn about the things that actually make a society free in public school? No. You think they're going to give you curriculum so you can teach your kids at home the same lies because they're devoid? You know, what's a lie? A lie is 90% truth and 10% false. And you know how they get that 10% false in there most of the time? They just leave it out. It's not the it's not the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. It's not the truth at all. So anyway, the early church was called a republic. The early churches in America were called embryonic republics. And the next time on Keys of the Kingdom, we're going to talk about exactly what that looks like, and how you can move back to liberty. Next time on Keys of the Kingdom. Till then, may peace be upon your house, and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to again talk about the Kingdom of God. And... We need lots of volunteers in order to preach the kingdom of God, and that's why we created the Living Network. We want you to actually invest. I did a show on cognitive dissonance, and one of the therapies of cognitive dissonance is the the idea of actually investing 
in obtaining or overcoming that thing upon which you have cognitive dissonance. They gave it the example of someone who's overweight, knows they're overweight, knows they have to eat less calories, and continue to eat excessively and continue to gain weight, and they can't seem to stop. And they discovered that if you simply give the person a choice of methods of how they would go about overcoming this addiction, which is the result of cognitive dissonance, that they had greater success. And so that's what we do. We give you lots of choices. <laughs> you can uh, you can join the Living Network uh, as an email group. You can join the Living Network as an actual living network by making contact with other people. You can join the Living Network by investing some of your time. Uh, one of the things we have that we just sent out a notice on is we're expanding a network of amateur radio operators. And they need to go to our amateur radio network invite at preparingyou.com. Just go look up that phrase and you'll find the invite. And get to know the other amateur radio operators who will help you get to become an amateur radio operator. And we have people taking classes on that right now and progressing right along. And other people that have already got the licenses and the equipment and all the things that they need for whatever stage in the operation they want to participate in. And we're connecting them. And if you want to get connected to that, then you can do that. Uh, We need more artwork, uh, royalty-free artwork, photographs, what have you, on preparing you. We've got need more articles. I just trained in somebody who's uh, whizzing away and getting articles. And we may do a show Monday uh, where we're interviewing uh, doctors on diseases and vaccines and all sorts of things. And we may start doing that more and more for all our other broadcasts. And you'll find out about that if you're in the Living Network. If you are not, we probably won't tell you because there's no way to tell you all these things and show you where they're at. But anyway, they're people are, you can, on our preparing you site, you do it. You create the site. You add. Somebody just put up a whole thing on how to create a manual log splitter. And uh, they got, I think they got the the original plans out of the Ukraine, but then somebody else drafted new plans and we've got them up and somebody else put up the web page and it's teamwork. And people are developing a relationship because they're investing in one another. And this is essential for a healthy society. Just read a story this morning. Somebody, uh, I think they were dead in their house for six years. And the only reason they discovered it is because, you know, they had a kind of an automatic pay the bills kind of situation. And the money eventually ran out and the bills stopped getting paid. <laughs> and somebody knows, well, she's been dead for six years. <laughs> and everything's just been automatically going along. Nobody knew. Nobody cared. So how long have you been dead? You know, I'm out here speaking the truth about the gospel of the kingdom, telling you what you need to do in order to follow Christ, to be a real Christian, not just these lip service Christians you see in 90% of the churches. 
who think that somehow or other they're, oh, but we're doing good so much because we're spreading the word and we're telling people about Jesus. We're not going to tell anybody that they shouldn't be coveting their neighbor's goods through the agency of government because we covet our neighbor's goods through the agency of government. We get lots of wonderful benefits. I remember Jehovah Witnesses that came here one time and I kind of trapped them into discussion and they blackballed me. There wasn't going to be a Jehovah Witness visit this house for years. If my truck was parked outside, they they wouldn't stop here. They actually, literally, it, they they wouldn't stop here. Well, my truck was around the back of the shop once. And they didn't know I was home. <laughs> and uh, here they we we could see them going you know around. We see everything for miles around where we live. There's hardly anybody. And we saw them pulling in. We thought, well, what the heck? They're pulling in finally. You know, it's been like three, four years. They never came in once. They'd always just drive by us. And I realized my truck's around the other side of the shop. They don't know I'm home. <laughs> but anyway, uh, we parted ways because I I pointed out that I didn't use the term Mark of the Beast, but they had the Mark of the Beast already. And, you know, and I, I kind of tricked them. It's a long story. You have to get it one of the other broadcasts or we won't get to the topic matter here. But everybody, you know, almost everybody in America has the Mark of the Beast already. You know that, don't you? You, you've already got the mark of the beast. The number of the beast. You've got that. Meet, meets all the criteria of the number of the beast. You've got that in your pocket, probably right now. You know that, don't you? You, you got the number in your head. Some of you got it written on your checks. That's your badge of servitude. You, you can't get into the marketplace without it. You can't even get national ID without it. <laughs> You gotta have that number and you gotta have it for quote unquote benefit purposes. <laughs> you don't know what I'm talking about. Go read, go listen to the show that we just did. <laughs> if you just tuned in, the show that goes before this will have them all numbered eventually. But, uh, the, uh, the fact is you've already got the mark of the beast. Now comes the fire and brimstone. So, and the tormenting. You're going to get lots of tormenting. As a matter of fact, right now, as you're listening to my voice, you are getting the tormenting of the mark of the beast. Because <laughs> the word torment there means test. Test as in testing gold on a street plate. You test it by rubbing it on a street plate. And that's what I am. I'm testing do you have enough humility to realize that you really screwed up bad? Do you have enough humility to see that and understand that? That you have abandoned Christ? You haven't repented? You haven't, you don't believe in Christ. You believe in an image of Christ created by the apostate church. Both the harlot and all of her daughters. And you have now made the daughters of the harlot millionaires. One of the top preachers in the United States, multi, multi millionaire. Because Christians buy his books and send him money. He lives in a millions, multi million dollar mansion. Jesus could have lived in a million dollar mansion. His uncle was one of the richest men in the Roman Empire. But he gave up all his wealth that he might be able to save you. 
But these preachers, they want you to give up your wealth so that they can live like millionaires. <laughs> and you fall for it. Because they're such good ear ticklers. Oh, tell me more about how I'm saved. That feels so good. You have an incestuous relationship with your preachers. And it's not just the successful ones. It's, it's the down-home ones who tell you that you're saved because you thought a thought. You don't have to be doers of the word, they say. Even though Jesus said you have not those who say, but those who do. They come and say, oh, you don't have to do. If that isn't Satan, you know, I mean, like, you go up to him. Go up to these guys that say you don't, you're don't, you not saved by works. And you aren't saved by works. You are saved by grace because you can't do enough works. So that is true. But it's also true that if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, surely you will not die. <laughs> That's true. Surely you will not die. In one sense of the word die. But in another sense of the word die, you will die. <laughs> See, that's the clever thing about language is that it all depends on what you mean by what you say as to whether it's true or not. But a really good liar, he can tell you the truth but make it a lie because he twists it a little bit. So, it's true you're saved by grace. But all these guys who say there's nothing you could do to be saved and are out there praying to the fathers of the earth for their benefits at the expense of their neighbor and tell you you can do the same because you're saved because you said the magic words. These are pastors of Satan. That's right. They're pastors of Satan because they seduced you into taking the mark of the beast which you already have. And you have it to get benefits at the expense of your neighbor. And you're not doing anything that the first century church was doing because your church is not taking care of the needy of its society. Even the Catholic churches that have nuns out there working in hospitals and all that stuff, those hospitals are receiving Medicare and Medicaid and all the Social Security checks. And if it wasn't for those, from the benefactors who exercise authority, all those Christian hospitals would close up. Show me a Christian hospital that operates entirely by faith, hope, and charity and does not make any application for the benefits, the beneficial payments of the beast, of the benefactors, who, or men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. You see, in the previous show, we showed you how they said, this is how they increase their power. This is how they do it. The politicians do it. Didn't you get that? The, this, this is the way that they expand their influence over the people of the world. And you've played right into it. Since 1956, since 1933, since 1913, you played into it. You've headlong streamed towards it. Now, I'm saying, repent. Turn around. Let's go the other way. So anyway, I promised you that I'd try to get on topic here, which the topic was republics. And if you want to read along, you can go into... Uh, your copy of The Higher Liberty, 
which is uh, began with an expose on Romans 13. We've already done a number of shows on this, and we will eventually put it into a series. But you're getting to hear it live today. And one of the things I pointed out earlier this week that it was the anniversary of the election of Marcus Aurelius as Emperor of Rome. And Marcus Aurelius had one of the worst human rights records of all the emperors of Rome for official persecution of Christians. And one of his major beefs is that they wouldn't get birth certificates. You see, because uh, they had birth certificates around even before Augustus Caesar, but of course with all the benefits that Augustus brought in, it was pretty necessary that if you wanted those benefits for your children, you needed to get birth certificates because that would determine when they were eligible for different benefits by age and that they were actually sons of Romans by uh, birth and or adoption. And so anyway, the Romans had an extensive plan to bring you into the position of a franchise citizen. It required three steps. And we go over that in the pamphlet, Call No Man on Earth Father. But under Marcus Aurelius, birth certificates were mandatory. You had to get them within 30 days, and Christians wouldn't do this. And so they were they were terribly officially persecuted because they wouldn't do it, because they knew that to get a birth certificate would be to make the state your father. That was one of the steps, one of the three legal steps, still is today. One of the three legal steps towards manumitting yourself from your natural father who you were supposed to be honoring and uh, making it mandatory that you honor your father, the state. I'm not making this up. Go read the pamphlet. You can argue all you want. But today is the anniversary of the British House of Lords passing the Stamp Act, which everybody says that the Stamp Act was bad because it was taxation without representation, when really it was taxation without consent. It doesn't say anything about representation in the Declaration of Independence, it says without consent. And the fact is, is that most of the taxes you pay, you pay because you have consented. But once you've consented, it's often an irrevocable consent. And there's no way back. But you deserve, you should be under tribute because you've been slothful in the ways of Christ. And you've been slothful in the ways of Christ because of the satanic gospel that you don't have to be a doer of the word. You just have to say the magic words and then you're automatically saved which is a satanic gospel, which you hear in many, 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 many churches. So, you know, what can I say? You're condemned. But there's still hope because you're still alive and you're hearing my voice and you can repent. Cool. You can turn around. You can go back the other way. So in The Higher Liberty, if you get to the chapter on republics, it begins with, are men the property of the state or are they free souls under God? This same battle continues throughout the world today. And I heard that way back in, I think, 1954. I think that's when I heard that. Uh, It was in the movie The Ten Commandments by Cecil B. DeMille's. I wasn't very old then. But I was sitting there with my grandmother, and he comes out on the big screen, like on a stage, and and says those words. And I remembered them. Just a little tiny kid. (laughs) I said, that's important. It's what I call Kodak moments. They're just little flashes in my mind. I was sitting in the Santa Rosa Theater. I had my box of popcorn, too. And I still heard what he said. 
I always got popcorn. That was that was my big thing when I go to the movies. Get get the popcorn. And Santa Rosa Theater and it was a matinee and it cost a dime. <laughs> that's 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 more than a denarii. <laughs> it was cost a, it was because it was a silver dime. <laughs> The popcorn was more. I think the popcorn actually cost more than the movie. I think I think I paid fifteen cents for the popcorn. I don't know, but Grandma paid for it. But there it was, right there in front of me. And uh, how many Americans have seen that movie Moses with Charlton Heston? Are men the property of the state, or are they free souls under God? This same battle continues throughout the world. And I added the word today. <laughs> just the word today isn't actually there. But it continues throughout the world. And it is. And in the United States, you're all the property of the state. Your land belongs to the state. Your children belong to the state. You belong to the state. That's why they, when your, your children are sexually assaulted at the tender age of 10 in public schools, they don't have to inform you. And I talked about that in the last show. They can be sexually assaulted and they don't have to tell the parents. It's not required by law. <laughs> It doesn't matter. The state knows. And the state's their real dead. Did you ever read? I think it's it's Title 8, Section 15. It actually has the Latin word parents patria in the U.S. Code. Because the U.S. Codes are following in the steps of Rome. So you're now a part of the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. The Republic's gone. You know, when the empire was born, the public was gone. You know, one of the platforms of Augustus Caesar when he was running for political office, did you know that Augustus Caesar had to be elected to the office of imperator? Ten-year term. Had to take an oath of office. So anyway, one of his platforms was, uh, there was actually two basic ones he constantly was running on. A return to the republic, because they had already left the republic, because they were now an empire. You started leaving the Republic when you wrote the Constitution. That's It's supposed to guarantee to you a Republican form of government, but only if you retain your rights, according to the Amendment 9. It also has to make no law impairing the obligation of contract. So therefore, if you're under contract to some social welfare scheme, it's got to enforce that contract. It has to protect that contract. You see, so you're bound up left and right. You're now property of the state. You're merchandise, as Peter refers to it. And he said how you would become merchandise. He said you would become merchandise because of covetousness. And of course, that's been the theme of the, this, these last two shows. But anyway, let me uh, read a quote here. And it's from just uh, in Carta encyclopedia don't have to go off and get some weird ancient book or something it says some scholars regard the ancient confederation of hebrew tribes that endured in palestine from the 15th century bc until a monarchy was established about 1020 bc as an embryonic republic that would make the ancient israel commonwealth the earliest republic in history and one of the oldest democracies except for uh, slaves and women, all members of the community had a voice 
in the selection of their administrators and were eligible for political office. So, Israel was a republic. And so, the story of Israel is the story of the birth of the first republic under the authority of Moses, who did not exercise authority most of the time over the people. He actually set them free, where they had a choice in order to break the cognitive dissonance of the slavery of Egypt. And they had to invest in that choice by sacrificing daily, by choice, to whomever they chose to sacrifice to, to maintain a free government. By free will offerings. Not because Moses was tickling their ears, but was giving them a chance back to take back their responsibilities and therefore their freedom. This is what the Bible was about there. This is what they were doing. And in the book Higher Liberty, I go on to say, those who held office were the elders of each family, and they exercised the power of the state autonomous, autonomously within the sacred nature of the divine union of husband and wife, which are offices. Husband is an office and wife is an office. They're actually the members of a corporation called the family. Two or more people gathered together as if they were one person, no more twain. Producing what? Offspring. Amazing. If you go back in history, they talk about the destruction of Greece was the fact that they they became so destituted in their socialistic democracies that developed out of democracy. That's why Plutarch believes that all democracies fail. Is because of the fact that they no longer saw any reason to get married, no longer saw any reason to have children, no longer saw any reason to have large families. They didn't need them. They had the state. They were completely self-absorbed in their own comfort. You know, why buy the cow if you can get the milk free? And promiscuity was everywhere. Same thing with Rome. The cessation of marriages listed as... as uh, as an institution of society, was part of the downfall of Rome. You know any other cultures where 50% of the marriages end in divorce and 50% of the children or better are being raised in single-family homes and that thousands of children are born on a regular basis out of wedlock? That wasn't the case A hundred years ago in America, it is the case today. We are following in the footsteps of Rome and our plunge towards socialism is part of that because socialism is immoral. It is based on coveting your nature's goods. And Peter said that they promise you liberty, they will deliver you into bondage. He says that they will make merchandise of you because of your covetousness. The Levites administered charity and mercy, but they had no exercising authority over the choices of the people, nor their liberty. They only had control over what they were freely given in sacrifice. And I actually just found a typo in the book. (laughs) Anyway, uh, the the leaders were chosen by ten families in congregation. 
And they could change that choice. Every day was election day in Israel. Now, there were a couple of days that were bigger election days and more important, but every day was an election day because the Levites couldn't force your offerings. Now, Herod thought it would be a good idea to be able to force the offerings, so he offered them this scheme of Corbin where you were baptized into his scheme of Corbin, registered with the scribes, and then you had to pay in. And they had collectors who would go out and make sure that you paid in. And if you didn't pay in, you could be penalized. And that was the baptism of Herod. But John the Baptist was saying, no, we're not going to do this by force and violence. We're going to do it by free will offering. See, so he was actually preaching a return to the Republic. This is this is the platform of John the Baptist. It wasn't the platform of Caiaphas. It wasn't the platform of Ananias or all of his five sons who were all seeking to be the high priests. But it was the platform of John the Baptist. And it certainly was the platform of Christ. But modern Christians, they, they don't know anything about that because they're too busy having their ears scratched. They like it. It's right back here. It really feels good. Anyway, we'll be right back to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. On the break, I was just fixing more typos. <laughs> so, I I didn't find them in the book this time. But I did mention to you Polybius and what he said. And I made a reference to the fact that Greece had this low birth rate. And he actually verifies this. Polybius, just to give you an idea, he was the historian's historian. He set the standard for writing histories. He said that they had to tell the truth of history. He actually wouldn't write things down until he actually interviewed the people that were living this history. Because he knew that the, the things of the, his day were the history of tomorrow. So he was kind of a mix between historian and reporter. And he needed this verification of the facts. And he he had to report the facts as they were. And he says, In our own time, the whole of Greece has been subject to a low birth rate and a general decrease of the population owing to which cities have become deserted and the land has ceased to yield fruit, although there have neither been continuous wars nor epidemics. For as men had fallen into such a state of pretentiousness, avarice, indolence, that they did not wish to marry, or if they married, to rear children born to them, or at most as a rule but one or two of them, so as to leave their, to leave these in affluence, and bring them up to waste their substance and evil rapidly and sensibly grew. This is what he said, that evil and rapidly grew, insensibly grew, because of this this not wanting to marry, not wanting to, to create a family, not wanting to raise children. And it was devastating to society. America would be in such a same boat, except for, it's bringing the tired and huddled masses of the world to America. But it's a different America they're bringing them to. They're bringing them to an America of socialism. They're coming here. You, you want to 
close the borders. You want to put up big fences to stop people from coming in. You want the INS to to regulate those people that come in to protect you. You know how people used to come into America? They would come to the gates and the doors and they would hold up a contract with an American. And there could be no law impairing the obligation of contract. So they had to let that person in. And the contract was usually for seven years where you would come in and work under this contract for whatever terms, you know, you might be an indentured servant, but you would get paid and you would live in the house and you would get food and you would be this indentured servant for seven years. At the end of that seven years, you could now be a resident in America in whatever state you lived in because you'd lived here for seven years and it was actually believed that your whole body would be renewed in seven years if you lived in a place. And nobody could throw you out because they can't impair the obligation of contract. That's how people came here. There was no social welfare. You want to get rid of unwanted, undocumented aliens and social welfare. No, you're not going to be able to do that. I don't want you to think that I'm telling you to go out and vote and end social welfare. It's just not going to happen. They're not going to give it up. Because everybody on social welfare gets the vote. Now, you want to take away the vote to everybody on social welfare. (laughs) That means that anybody sending their kids to public school, (laughs) their parents can't vote anymore. (laughs) Anybody who is on food stamps, EBT cards, can't vote anymore. Because obviously, they're the slothful. They can't support themselves. They shouldn't have any say-so over the purse strings of the government. They... They're not contributors, or at least not sufficiently to have the right to vote. That sounds reasonable, <laughs> but I don't think we're going to get that passed, folks. And I'm not advocating to pass that. I'm just showing you how you've departed from the principles of righteousness and how there is no way back by the vote. I'm not encouraging you to vote. I'm just telling you what's going to happen. I'm encouraging you to take back your responsibilities. Anyway, that's in Histories, Volume 6, book, uh, if I can read my Roman numerals, uh, 28. But anyway, the other uh, quote I wanted to read to you was, uh, Can anyone be so indifferent or idle as not to care to know by what means and under what kind of polity Almost the whole inhabited world was conquered and brought under the dominion of a single city of Rome, and that too within a period of not quite 53 years. How did they do that? Well, Rome, see, was not a socialist state. This, this is pre, pre-Caesar. This, this is, this is, uh, Polybius. 200 B.C. is when he was born. And so, Rome had not yet become that socialist state. But many of the other states around, Carthage, uh, many of the states in Greece, had become socialist states. And they were debilitated by it. And so, Rome, not being a socialist state, but actually forming more along the lines of ancient Hebrew. I mean, they had their temples, but they, they... 
when they went to build a temple, which was actually an area, it wasn't a building. A temple meant an area in which you would put some buildings. And there was usually a building there to commemorate as a symbol something that was the core of this religious location. But remember, religion was how you took care of the needy of your society. And so, it was in that location you would get free bread. But the original free bread was provided by donation. And in order to build the facilities, you know, which they started building out of stone when they started getting a little bit, people would actually, citizens would actually go down to the location where they were clearing the soil. And when they were bringing in the first cornerstones, they would take nuggets of gold, not coins, but nuggets of gold, and they would throw them down on the dirt before they placed the stone and nobody would touch it and then they would set the stone on it. It's like depositing that gold. They knew that gold was there, but you couldn't get it unless you moved the stone again and of course they were going to build a big building. But the point was it was a free will contribution. This was actually Paul the Apostle's brother and, and nephew were doing the same thing in Great Britain which made them very popular. Through free will offerings, they were actually supporting the people. And why? Because the the king there had sold out to Rome for benefits and borrowed all kinds of money. And, you know, it ended up leading to the death of thousands and thousands of people because people put too much faith in their leaders. And see, the kingdom of God is about putting faith in God and you as an individual maintaining the state. You were the state. You know, and that's where I want to get back to uh, the uh, definition of a republic. A republic is a commonwealth that form of government. That form of government in which the administration of the affairs is open to all the citizens. Now, you think that that means you, but no. In another sense, it signifies the state independently of its government. Now, wait a minute. That's an important statement. This is out of Black's Law Dictionary. Page 1536, Black's Third Law Dictionary. In another sense, it signifies the state independently of its government. So that means the state's over here and the government's over here. See, because when you say government, people think the state, right? I mean, that's what you think. But in a republic, no, it's separate. So, if the government is over here, that's, you know, congressmen, senators, bureaucrats, you know, regulators. (laughs) If that's over here, where's the state? (laughs) That's you. That's the people. That's the way it is in a republic. Because the power is with the people, not collectively, but individually. And, you know, in that little section, I also talk about the fact that the Levites were building these cities of refuge. And the cities of refuge, we always think there's some place where all the criminals go. And if you can get to the city of refuge, they can't touch you. Actually, what they were describing there is appeals courts. And the guys who sat in the appeals courts were the best servant of servants of servants of servants because their system was entirely based on voluntarism. I know this is completely different than a lot of you have heard and a lot of you who listen regularly and hear this on a regular basis, but most of you haven't got a clue what these systems... This was a government. Israel was a government. The Bible is about government. It's about your relationship with each other. A pure republic. Next section. 
The United States shall guarantee to every state in this union a republican form of government. And they do. But that, that's, but a republic, if the state is the people in the republic, not the individual corporate states, but the actual individual people, then the one who really must guarantee the republican form of government is the people retaining their rights and responsibilities. Not a democracy. A democracy and a republic are not the same things. You gotta remember Caesar was elected by an electoral college to be Imperator, Principas Civitas, and Apotheos of Rome. These were elected offices. And he ran for office saying he wanted to return to the Republic because what he was in is an actually an indirect democracy. And that's what you're in. If you want to return to the Republic, you can't elect men of authority to do it. You have to do it. You have to take back your responsibility. And so, if you don't understand that, I can't help you. If you want to understand that, keep listening. The term Republic Res publica signifies the state independently of its form of government. There's another definition. Now, the other one was blacks. That's Bovier's. That's That dictionary was dedicated to the Constitution of the United States. They're talking about a republic signifying a state independently, small letter S, state independently of its form of government. Are you independent of the government? If you're sending your kids to public school, you're not. If you're depending on public health care, you're not. If you're dependent upon Social Security, you're not. You're not independent. You're sitting and eating with rulers. And the Bible tells you, if you sit and eat with rulers, and you be a man of appetite, remember Publius and, and Plutarch talk about appetite, put a knife to your throat. For it serves deceitful meats. Dainties. Now, the Bible's telling you that. But you don't have to listen to that because you're saved. Because you believe and you thought a thought. <laughs> Not so. Wake up. Can I, I'm going to reach through the radio now. I'm smacking you across the side of the face. Wake up. You have been lied to and you have accepted the lie because it makes you feel good. Now you get to make a choice on how you want to start walking back towards the kingdom. A pure republic allows the people the power of choice. I'm giving you the power of choice. You can go vote if you want, if you think that's some sort of a choice, like you vote for this guy or that guy, it's going to make a difference. Way back in the 60s, in the 60s, William O. Douglas says it doesn't matter who you elect. The new George III is the vast bureaucracy that is regulating your life. <laughs> we'll continue to do Despite what the law is. They don't care what the law is. They're just going to regulate your life. They may retain their right to choose or waive it for what they believe is profitable or for gain. People change the government change. Believe it or not, I just found another typo. <laughs> I should I should do these radio programs more. I'm looking at the uh, template of the book. It has been said, all roads lead to Rome. But if we turn around, all roads lead to the kingdom of God. We just have to go in the other direction. 
it is all about which direction you choose. And that's why the word repentance means turn around. It means go the other way. And that way is righteousness. It's not the way of covetousness. And so it doesn't matter if you tell me you believe in Jesus. Show me you believe in Jesus. By stop coveting your neighbor's goods and start taking care of one another and faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. Because unless you do, you're not a follower of Christ and therefore you are not a Christian. Therefore you are not saved. Now, if you want to get some millionaire preacher to tell you that you are saved, I'm sure you can find one. But if you want to listen to some poor guy out here in the desert sitting on a sheepskin, actually, I am sitting on a sheepskin. I have a sheepskin covering this chair I made years ago. And it doesn't have much padding, so I put a sheepskin on it. So all my radio programs are made usually from this chair. So I'm always sitting on a, a sheepskin when I tell you this. So I'm not really wearing camel skin, but I am sh- sitting on a sheepskin. <laughs> so anyway. But anyway, uh, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life and few there be that find it. Now, you're going to take that guy's word for it? What he's saying, Matthew 7:14, Or are you going to listen to that pudding hand preacher who told you, oh, don't worry, you don't have to do anything. You're saved already. You can be like God. <laughs> it's the devil talking to you. Stop giving him money. <laughs> Tell him he, he needs to repent. I'm telling him he does. The United States is a democracy. And, and I'm picking on the United States because I happen to live in America. But you could go to all these other countries. I don't want to pick on poor United States. I mean, it is the poorest nation in the world because it's the most indebted nation in the world. (laughs) You see, it isn't up to broke yet. It's going to have to take a lot of work to get up to broke, so it's pretty poor. I mean, it's comfortable, but it's poor. Uh, The United States is a democracy within the original republic, and it has changed as its citizens, citizenry changes their relationship with it. Relationships have been altered by choice and by consent, by your application for benefits. The dreams and desires of the people may become a nightmare of despair before those who slumber awaken. The term republic in its pure form comes from the word libera res publica, which is a Latin idiom that means free from things public. Why? Because the state is in the hands of the people. It's not in the hands of the government. And then if you elect people, they are only titular representatives. And we'll get to that part of the definition eventually. But Tacitus repeatedly contrasts the res publica under the emperors with the pre-Augustus liber res publica. See, before Augustus, there was a republic. But after a civil war, there wasn't. A lot like America. After the civil war, the republic was all but dead. And it's been, you've been driving a stake through its heart ever since with your mad rush towards socialism. And you're, I'm not telling you, I'm not telling you to try to stop everybody else who's rushing towards socialism. You, you can give them a warning and you should. If you love them, you should certainly warn them. But I'm not telling you to use the vote to force them. I'm telling you to turn around and start doing it for yourself. Because personally, I don't think we can stop this. I think the die is cast. But 
you can stop. You can you can get off that train and go the other way. And you do that step by step. And how you do that, like I say, homeschool, home health, gather together in congregations, start taking care of one another. Step by step, learn to walk again as free men. I'm not one of these guys who say, we're free men and we're going to take our rights back. No, I say, you're not free men, you're slaves. Learn to take your responsibilities back. That simple. But anyway, this quote I'm reading, it goes on to say, and in the Germania 37, encountered the disasters which Germans inflicted upon the res publica Romanorum. He distinguishes between the old res publica, which he calls Publius Romanos, and the new res publica, which he calls Caesar. The old res publica hardly had a mixed constitution which dreamers assigned it, and which actually never can exist. This is the idea of the author. But it was something greater and majestic, which lives on as a glorious memory in a mean age. Well, that's what we live in. We live in the mean age. I was quoting from the ruling power study of the Roman Empire in the second century after Christ through the Roman orations of Aelius, Aristides, etc. But anyway, it was written by James Oliver. And it was kind of an interesting book. I actually didn't make it all the way through the whole thing. (laughs) Anyway, history will repeat itself. It is repeating itself. And you're seeing the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. And just as there was a mark of the beast under Nero, because a lot of people say, oh, well, that all took place back then. Well, it did. But it's also taking place today. And what a mark of the beast, the kragma of the beast, is a badge of servitude. And all those who were signed up were registered. They were idiotas. They were registered with that system. They had to pay in. And this is why Christians are persecuted is because they weren't paying in because they had their own system. And you can read about it in 150 AD from people like Justin who tells you that they gathered every week and those that had shared with those that didn't have enough. And they had another king. A king that said to love thy neighbor as thyself. Just like Moses had said. But see, you don't even know what love is. You think love is forcing your neighbor at the point of a gun to contribute to you and you've fallen for the age-old trick of democracy. Which will be the next topic that we cover is this topic of democracy. And we have links to other articles on Republic that give you the definition where the, the ones you elect in a Republic in a real republic, the leaders are titular. They're not lawmakers. They are representatives, but they are not imposing law upon you, but they are go there and they're disconnecting you with others. But they're titular in name only. They have no power over you. You have the power because you're still living in a free society. And this is what, this is, you know, Rome went from a system where there was a king, the Tarquinian kings, and they threw them out and they became a republic. And they lasted for several hundred years. And I'm not sure exactly when it died, but it was becoming weaker and weaker under the proconsuls. But eventually, by the time of Augustus Caesar, you could pretty much say that it was dead. Now, there were violent attempts to return to the republic occasionally when they went around and killed everybody. But then the Praetorian Guard 
the, the bureaucracy was so powerful that they put Claudius up there and Claudius persecuted Christians because they weren't members. They weren't signing up. They had their own thing. They were doing it. You're not doing it. You need to turn around and start doing that. And next time we'll talk about democracies on the next broadcast that I make, wherever it is, which may not be here, but we do quite a few a week. Until then, may peace be upon your house and may God be with you. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.